The Beaux-Arts Photography Podcast with Alan and Natalie Brio. So today we are going to do a podcast on our little-known workshops. And I think that first we should talk about how a little-known workshop is different from a regular workshop, don't you think? Oh yes, definitely. Well, several things come to mind. Number one, the number of participants is half. It's six Yes. Instead of 12. In our regular workshops, we have up to 12 participants. Sometimes we have more if we have a transfer. 14 at the max. At the most. The little-known workshops, we only have six participants and possibly one transfer, which doesn't always happen. And having six instead of 12 makes a huge difference. And that's the idea behind the little-known workshops, is to have a small group so that we can do things that we can't do with a large group, correct? Yes. And uh, one of them being is going to remote areas uh, where we can't bring a large group, but also um, having a vehicle where you can travel on dirt roads to some of these remote locations. Because one of the aspects of little-known workshops is that we travel on a lot of dirt roads. And we go to little-known areas. That are only accessible by dirt roads. Right. And so you have to have a high clearance vehicle or a four-wheel drive, I mean, at least a high clearance vehicle. A lot of uh, these dirt roads won't be passable by a passenger car. No. And most importantly, we could not go to these places with a large group because usually there's a very small parking area. There could be local residents that don't really look too well on having a large group next to their house, you know, this kind of thing. Yes. And because most of the little-known workshops on the Navajo Reservation, we have to be very sensitive to how the residents feel, obviously. And on a number of occasions, we've had to have uh, some uh, little discussion with the residents in order to make sure that everybody was okay with us being there. Oh, yes, definitely. Because, you know, it doesn't matter if you have a permit through the Navajo Nation, because if the residents don't want you near their property, they'll let you know. And it doesn't matter whether you have a permit or not. Or if the grandma doesn't read English. Well, yeah, that happens out there. Yeah. Or speak English. Or speak English. Sometimes they don't even speak yeah. English so, when you go out there. You know, you can have all the permits you want if uh, the local grandmother doesn't speak English, doesn't read English, doesn't do any good. They'll look at it and say, so what? You know, in Navajo. And we just have to move on, right? And communicate as human beings, which oh, is, yeah. means be nice. Well, I remember be understanding. one time you and I were in a very remote area, and I remember this... Uh, older Navajo man galloping towards us on his horse. Do you remember? And, oh, so and yelling. Yelling. And uh, wow, what a sight, you know. And didn't speak a word of English. So he approaches us, and I had your tripod in, my, in your camera bag slung over my shoulder, but he thought it was a rifle, Yeah. you know. So I remember we took out the tripod, showed him the tripod, showed him the camera, then pointed to the Anasazi runes that were above, on the cliff above, and pointing at the camera, pointing at the rune, and showing him or letting him know that we just wanted to take a picture. Yeah, and then he realized that we were insane, which (laughs) which confirmed most Navajo's opinion of white people, which is we're nuts, you know, because he was afraid we were going to shoot his cows. Well, she had just had a calf, yeah, and uh, she was in a little pen, mm-hmm. and I think he just wanted to make sure that we weren't going to bother the mama and the baby. He calf. thought we were going to either shoot the cow or steal the calf or both, right? Right. You so know, I remember shoot the mother and steal the baby, 
And when we told him that we were going to photograph that Indian ruin, you know, that Anasazi ruin, he looked at us as if we were playing nuts and just, you know, left us alone. He did. Plus, they're afraid of uh, these ruins because they think that uh, evil spirits live in them. And if they go in these ruins, they have to have a ceremony, you know, the enemy way. Right. To clean them, to purify them of the evil spirit. Otherwise, they can get ill or have all sorts of problems. So for them, going in there is a no-no. And if you want to go in there, that's your problem, you know. Although they know that his beliefs, you know, don't affect white people. So they, they are pretty confident that nothing is going to happen to you. But they suddenly would not go, and they suddenly don't understand why you would go, and on top of that, take a photo, you know. Right. All of that for a photo, I mean, what's the point? So I'm a firm believer of telling people on the reservation and Navajos exactly what we are doing, because that's the best solution. And Once they know, they, they look at you, they're like, oh, well, why would you do that? And they leave you alone. And also letting them uh, know who you know, because sometimes... I'll mention people's name and they're like, oh, well, that's my cousin. Or I didn't know you knew this person or you worked with this person. Or one time I was wearing a necklace and we went to a gas station in a very remote part of the the reservation. And a Navajo woman smiled at me. She was filling up her truck with gas and she smiled. And uh, she said, I couldn't help but notice your beautiful necklace. And I said, well, thank you. I just bought this in Chinle. And she said, I know. She said, my auntie made that. I can tell yeah. uh, that that's my auntie's necklace. A lot and, of them are related. Yeah. And, and not only that, but they play a lot of importance to jewelry. They do. And so wearing good jewelry, nice jewelry, makes a huge difference. It does. Know. It's also a topic of conversation. Mm-hmm. breaks the ice you know we have something to talk about and it's also even if you talk to them they go by how they feel too what kind of feelings you're projecting if you're projecting you know good feelings or they kind of go with that too what kind of a person you are they won't outrightly say no necessarily but they kind of will talk to you for a little bit kind of get a feel for maybe the type of person you are, and then and then they're fine. Yeah, yeah. They also look at your level of confidence, whether you're afraid or not, whether you're self-assured or not, whether you're lying or not. They really study you, you know. Yes, they and do. And the best you can do is just be yourself, be honest, and, uh, you know, not be scared. <laughs> right. <laughs> when they come. <laughs> because they'll, they'll trick you, you know. They'll, oh, yeah. They'll play with you. They'll test you, you know. Right. They'll say something to see how you react. And that doesn't mean that they are serious. But what it means is they want to see how you're going to react. You know? Right. And it can be something that's pretty outrageous. It can, yeah. Yeah. It can be anything, yeah. I remember the story of our friends, Travis, before he married his wife. What's her name? Kara. Kara. He said, yeah, we went on a date, and um, she was testing me on this date, but I didn't know that. All I know is, for no reason at all, she just threw this drink right in my face, Yeah, you know, during dinner. And he said, I I didn't know what I had said. I didn't know what I had done. And uh, he said, I couldn't figure out what was going on. And he said, uh, what she wanted to know was, before she married me, is, what kind of temperament I had. Yeah. 
Right. You know, how I was going to react Yeah, that to could something. have turned sour. I mean, oh, you could yeah. have just killed her. <laughs> Obviously, he could have. You know. But uh, he, he must have endured uh, this testing for a number of hours, I imagine, the way he was telling the story. That was a test, yeah. It's not a <laughs> test that I would recommend personally, but it's a different culture. You know? yes, yes. <laughs> they do think their way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so all of that to say that during these workshops, we get deeply involved with uh, not only the landscape and remote areas, but also the culture. And for that reason, we need to have people with us that have attended a workshop with us before and feel comfortable. And that are self-sufficient, too. And are self-sufficient. I mean, with us, we bring a um, one of those jacks. We bring tow ropes. We bring shovels. shovels yeah. Definitely first aid kit. Plenty yeah. of water. I mean, lots of water, lots of food. I mean, nothing has ever happened, but we have to be ready in case something does happen. Oh, a lot of us have uh, something to start a fire, blankets. Well, uh, we're not going to find much help. If we don't have it with us, we just won't have it. Right. And I think that something that the participants learn is how to be self-sufficient. Because we've had a number of participants that went back after the workshop and bought a jack, you know, bought a shovel, you know, a folding shovel, you know, and and all sort of supplies to be able to be self-sufficient like we are doing these workshops. Well, yes, because they were looking at what we had in our truck. Mm -hmm. And I think when we went to, what was it, the the Bristlecone Pines, Mm -hmm. where one of them got a flat tire because mm. he brought a passenger car and I said oh it's no big deal you know so I brought out the jack in its own carrying case to keep all the dust and dirt out yeah. of it when you travel and once they started to see the tools that we had and that it didn't take long to do especially as a group it gives them more mm. confidence right. you know to change a tire with other people around and talking and helping they felt uh, empowered and yeah. they felt better about, you know, maybe being alone and photographing. Well, I mean, it's important if you're going to go photograph a remote area that, A, you come back. You know, if you <laughs> have a problem, I think that's the minimum. You know, you want to come back. But also that if something happens, you're not traumatized. You right. know, you're not stuck out there for days on end because... You don't have what it takes to pull yourself out and nobody shows up. Oh, you know? yeah. And we had a fix-a-flat. Right. However, his tire just was shot. Was I mean, shot. Yeah, I mean, we couldn't use the fix-a-flat. There was no repair possible. Yeah. No, we we could have done it on. And he was lucky did. that he made it all the way back. Yeah. I did not think he would, <laughs> but he did. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's important because, after all, we are doing art. I mean, even though we go out there and it looks more like survival at times than... Uh, photography, we are creating art. And you can't create art if you're miserable, if you have all sorts of problems with your gear, if you if you have flats, if your car doesn't run, if you get stuck. You're not creating art. You're now fixing all these problems. Right. And we've are, had to use the tow yeah, rope right. a couple of times to pull people out of sand, oh, because, which was no big yeah, deal. Right. Because it happens very quickly. But um, it's important that you have, uh, you know, self-resource because you want to be able to create. And that's the number one reason why we go there. And you can't create if you're buried under tons of problems with your your vehicle or, or whatever. Or people coming to you and you don't know what to do if they, if they tell you to leave, you know. Well, another aspect of the little-known uh, workshops is a lot of them are more serious about their photography. Usually they show projects. Right. Or they are projects more that they're working right. on yeah. at that time to I, share I with that, everybody. Right. Obviously, one of the differences between a beginning photographer and an advanced photographer is that beginning photographers think that the key to creating better photos is to photograph everything that catches their eye. Correct. Everything they see. 
and it takes them sometimes years. I mean, some of them never actually get it, that the key to better photography is to actually work on a project. But uh, those that come to the little known workshops obviously have uh, overcome this hurdle that a lot of beginners don't overcome ever, and they are ready to basically start moving towards better work. You know? Yes. And so that's a requirement, you know, in a way that they stop thinking that the key is to photograph everything that catches their eye. The creativity comes from r limiting your option. It comes from putting limits to what you can do, not from having no boundaries. A lot of people think they're creative if they can do anything they want, but the fact is that they actually do whatever. Creativity is actually setting boundaries, and we set boundaries during the advanced workshops in order for people to move forward with their work and get to where most people don't get. It's really the interesting thing with beginning photographers. They think that they are original because they photograph everything that catches their eye. They don't realize that that's what every beginner out there does. You know, right. <laughs> Everybody with a cell phone is doing exactly that, you know. And in many ways, you know, people are like, everybody has a camera, therefore everybody is a photographer. Well, that could be, you know, um, although I don't think that having a camera is, means being a photographer, it means you have a camera. It's no different than having a musical instrument, you know, you're not a musician, you have a musical instrument, you're the owner, right? But what they don't realize is that the real difference is not whether somebody has a camera or not. The real difference is that a real photographer has a project in mind, is working on a project. Right. Yeah. You know. And for the uh, Little Known Workshop, starting in uh, 2018, since we've had special requests of teaching some painting and drawing classes, we have decided for the Little Known Western Navajo Land Workshop, which takes place in September 2018, which sold out really fast, that we are going to do some palette painting. Yeah, we're going to do painting in addition to photography. And the reason for that is, again, to open up creativity, you know, to make people realize that there's not all that much difference between making a painting and taking a photograph. Both of them are work of art and they are works of creativity and they are works of imagination. Right. So we're going to focus on color, we're going to focus on shapes. Yeah, and we're going to provide all of the equipment. Oh, yes. We're going to have. And uh, they're going to use palette knives because mm -hmm. we don't want them to get lost in the detail. There's well, going to be yeah. very little detail well, in these things. And paintings. also, I think that a lot of people are intimidated by a paintbrush. They associate paintbrush with. Uh, negative experiences doing Well, all of a sudden they school, stiffen you know? up. Yeah, they become incapacitated, you know. Right. But a palette knife is something that most people are not familiar with. It's something that they have not tried before. And it's also something that loosens you up. You can't yes. be precise with a palette knife. And that's the whole key. You have to be loose. You have to basically let go of a lot of uh, the control that you have when you have a pen brush. And we chose this workshop because we're going to be in the same city, Tuba City, for the entire workshop, mm -hmm. and also because there is a very subtle landscape that is just ideal for creating some of mm -hmm. those landscapes, paintings. It's a propitious location and uh, time frame and, and it's not. Yeah. Uh, it's not inhibited. They won't feel inhibited uh, by the landscape. Well, we'll have plenty or, of time also because yeah. obviously to make a painting, you need more time than to take a photograph. I mean, you can take a photograph in a fraction of a second, right. but a painting is going to take... We need at least you know, two hours a minimum, A couple of I hours. You know, even though you might not be painting for a couple of hours, there is the setup, oh, there yes. is the... Uh, getting into it, you know, painting, then maybe doing several different paintings. Oh, yes. Setting up the equipment. I mean, we'll have a table with the paints, with the 
the canvassers, you know, we'll use canvas boards. We'll have the palette knives, and then we'll give pen to everybody, give an evil to everybody. So all of that takes time, you know. Oh, yeah. And this is not equipment and that we are familiar and with. And everybody because we are has not their painting. own painting yeah. easel. Everybody yeah. has their own folding easel. But we need time because we are not going to be familiar with the equipment. This is not the equipment they use normally. So there is a certain time that's going to be necessary to get acquainted with it. Well, and even the color mixing. Yeah. And We're then going to have to teach mixing, a, a little yeah. bit of yeah. uh, color mixing, but also different techniques of laying down the paint with a palette knife just doing some very short demonstrations and uh, we're going to be using acrylic paint because it dries fast and uh, bringing boxes and plenty of canvas boards so that they can do several paintings if they want to um, and have fun yes it's important art is supposed to be fun creative i tell be people creative. all the time if this is not fun something is going wrong because this is your time your money your gear your experience your life and if you don't make it fun, then why are we doing it? You know, right? I can understand that you have a job and it's not fun at times, but I don't understand that you have a hobby and it's not fun. Right, <laughs> you know? right. It's supposed to be fun, right? You know. And I think just incorporating uh, some of these different artistic um, mediums mediums will also just really help their creativity. You know, painting the landscape and smelling the acrylics and feeling it and cleaning the palette knives and all of that, I think the outcome of their photographs after doing an exercise like this, some of them, I think it's going to change their work. Well, you go back to photography after doing painting with a different mind frame, a different way of looking at it. You're not the same person. No. You've now opened your eyes to a different way of doing things, maybe simpler. Because painting, one of the main differences between a painting and a photograph is the amount of detail that a painting has. Right. Obviously, a photograph has an endless amount of detail, but a painting can only have as many details as you can put in. And if you use a palette knife, that is basically reduced to the minimum, right. where you're just going to have flat areas of colors, more or less. You might be able to do some detail with the tip of the knife, but very little. And when you go back to photography after doing a palette knife, you become aware that details are not that important. Right. But you can do a beautiful image without much detail, if any detail at all. Right. And that's really a big step forward because most photographers are obsessed with detail. I mean, we just need to look at how many discussions are going on about how to sharpen your photographs. Endless discussions about sharpening this way and that way. There's an entire books written about sharpening photographs. Right. It's to that level where it's almost like an over-dominating concern. And we need to step away from that because there is no creativity associated with sharpening. It's a purely technical process. You're not going to be a better artist because you sharpen your photos better. For that matter, you probably are a worse artist. Right. But how do you get rid of that? Well, one technique is to do a painting. Right. And I'm thinking after doing one or several paintings, I'm thinking that they're going to start to look at the landscape different. And I also think that they're going to start rendering their landscapes differently in Photoshop and in Lightroom mm -hmm. and doing different techniques. I really think that it's really going to change a number of things in their uh, photography. They also may decide to do a project or a series during that time, decide that this is what they're going to do. Right. Well, for one, I think they're going to be more aware of the colors because when you photograph uh, you basically get the colors that the camera gives you. You don't have to put any thinking into it. Right. I pay attention to colors because I change the colors in Photoshop extensively, but most people don't. And so there's no real awareness of colors. When you paint, on the other hand, 
if you're not aware of the colors, you just don't have those colors well, because you, you've got to make them yourself. You have to mix them yourself. Right. And you have to decide what colors you're going to use right. before yeah. you even start painting. Yeah. There, is so. no, there is no camera to decide for you. Right. Yeah. And so, so I think we, what we'll see is a much bigger awareness of color and maybe the beginning of a style that uses color. Right. I'm thinking, you know. Yeah. And well, we'll, I we'll find, see, you know. I think it's going to be very exciting and I, I can't wait to incorporate this part of the workshop yeah. into the Well, and it's always known. the same. You know, you do something new, whether it is for us or whether it is for the participants, and you ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen? Well, the worst that can happen in that case is you have a painting that you don't like, right. and you throw it away, and you're right. done, you know. I won't have a big garbage guy, and you can just put it in there. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, on my list is bring lots of trash yeah. bags, paper towels. Yeah. Nobody needs to know, right? You know, yeah. what happens on the little known workshop stays on the little yes, known workshop. that is true. Yes. <laughs> so there is, it's a risk-free environment. That's it what is. I'm trying to say. And, you know, you try again, make a second one, and probably it will be better, you know. And yeah. By the time you get to the third or fourth one, you'll be Well, fine. and I'm really interested to hear the conversations as they're painting. Well, how did you mix that color? Right, yeah. Where did you, you see know? that? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what is this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, part of the landscape yeah. is that. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it opens different conversations than the ones we are used to. Right. Yeah. right. So that, that should be fun. Yeah. That yeah. should be fun. I'm yeah. really looking forward to teaching. And I think that uh, that, that won't part. be the first one where we'll include that. And of course, we're going to include it, uh, maybe not on all the little known workshops, but, gonna... but on more. Yes. And depending on the location, you know. We have yeah. to really look at. The landscape where we will be and uh, how well, we much have to time find we places have. where we are by ourselves, you know, where right. nobody's going to disturb us. Absolutely. And, so and, uh, and definitely we're going to include it on more little known workshops after that. And we'll put it in the description. Oh, yes. And even if we uh, go to one of our 40-acre parcels, nobody's going to bother us out there. Right. Well, that's <laughs> the ideal location is go on yeah. your own property yeah. where... You know, if somebody bothers you, uh, they have no business being there. Exactly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's ideal. But it doesn't have to be just that. There's no, a lot of remote doesn't. locations where oh. you drive there and you're by yourself. Oh, definitely. You know, so, yeah. yeah. But you can't do that, you know, in a location that's windy, for example. You can't do that right. in a location that's really tiny and narrow. You know, a slot canyon would be the worst place for that because it's so narrow that there's no place to set up. Right. And, and that's really one of the interesting things as far as the difference between painters and photographers go, and that is the locations that painters prefer versus the location that photographers prefer. You take a photographer and they can't wait to get to the bottom of the narrow canyon and photograph the shapes of the canyon, you know, in, in semi-darkness as if they're in a cave, right? And you take a painter and they can't wait to go to the top of the canyon and paint in the open air with lots of room and huge vistas, you know. Right. And huge expanse huge of expanses, land. Yeah. You, yes. you look at paintings, you know, plein air paintings of landscapes, and most of them are very big vistas. Yeah, and you look at the majority of landscape photographs, and most of them are actually taken from down below into the canyon. Maybe not only slot canyons, but they are usually from down below into the canyon. Right. And that's one of the big differences. I've and also noticed in the plein air paintings that they're very, a lot of them are nondescript landscapes. They're very right. quiet. Well, because they are not painting the location. Right. They are painting their vision of the landscape. Right. They are not trying to create a painting that will advertise the location. Right. One of the problems with landscape photographers is it takes a long time for a beginning photographer to realize that 
describing the location in a photograph, creating a photograph that has, let's say, touristic value that can be used in a guidebook, in a magazine to advertise a particular place, is only one of the possible users of photographs. And for that reason, it's not one of the most well-paying if you want to make a living at that. The other use is obviously to create something which is your own vision that does not quite represent a particular place, you know, where in the photograph you don't really see what place you have exactly. You know it's a sand dune, for example, or you know it's a canyon, but you don't know which one and you don't know where. Right. right. That takes a long, long time to understand because traditionally photographs have been used to advertise places in one way or another. Right. But for painters, there's no such need because a painter knows that if they want to advertise a place, they just can take a photo. Mm -hmm. So when they do a painting, their goal is to actually express their personal vision of the landscape. Right. And that's why we are nondescript. It's not that they are nondescript, it's that they don't describe a specific location, they describe a specific vision, their vision. Right. And I think that that in itself is one of the tremendous lessons to be had from doing paintings, the fact that you realize that your landscape photography doesn't have to be recognizable as far as location. Right. That's true. It doesn't matter. Right. It's not important. You're not going to be more successful because we can tell where it was taken. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you know. But that takes years. You know, it's, it's a little bit like people photograph everything that catches their eye, and then they won't photograph that show precisely where it was, and they don't realize that by doing those two things, they are being held back. Right. That freedom is saying, okay, I'm not going to photograph all of this. I'm just going to photograph that, whatever that is. And I don't care if people can tell where it is. Right. And the minute you make those two decisions, your work is going to jump forward in quality and Ye be unique. Yes. It will start to be unique yeah. because you're not doing what everybody else does. You right, know? right. Everybody with their cell phone is doing exactly that. They are photographing everything that catches their eye and they are photographing in a way that we can identify location. There's no point putting a photo on Facebook of a place where you were on vacation with a beautiful scenery if people can't tell where it is. Yeah. <laughs> because at that point, there's no bragging rights. You know, I went to Cancun. Oh, yeah, but I can't tell where it is. It looks like it could be Michigan. Okay, so you wasted your time, right? You went all that way for nothing, <laughs> you know. People want to be able to recognize the location, and by doing that, they hold themselves back in terms of creativity. Right. I think so. I remember uh, when we lived in Canyon de Chez, we had the clay hills behind us, behind our trailer. And I remember us walking up there by the water tower or the water tank many times and just looking across on the other side, and there was just, just a single hogan by itself with the clay hills and the airport was behind it. And I just remember looking at that for years and years and years. And one day I just took some paints. I just walked up the hill, you know, behind our trailer there, was all by myself and just was with a palette knife, just painting those clay hills real quick because they're very subtle and just flowing lines and uh, forms and colors and doing the little hogan. Well, behind me, a Navajo came back on horseback who was sheep herding. And I had startled him because when he came up over the ridge, I was sitting down there painting. And uh, he, he made this noise, you know, uh, that he had been startled. And uh, got off his horse and came next to me to see what I was painting. And even told me, you startled me. I've, I, I've 
never seen anybody up here, let alone painting. <laughs> you know, what are you doing up here? And I said, see that Hogan way over there? I'm painting that Hogan with the clay hills. And he said, ah, oh. he said, I've looked at that Hogan for many, many years. <laughs> But it was it was just really nice where you think you're all alone in the mm. in the clay hills by yourself and you never know. You're never alone on the reservation. <laughs> no, There's you always aren't. somebody somewhere. There, yeah. You know, and, and they come out they seem to come out of nowhere. Yeah. 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 yeah, so this is actually a good uh, sort of summary of what we do during little known workshops and obviously there's a whole lot more to it, but hopefully it gives people a feel for what we do. Yes, so that they can decide whether that's something of interest to them or not. Those workshops are by invitation only. I mean, we don't accept new participants. They have to have taken a workshop from us, and we invite people based on, you know, our belief that they will be comfortable taking these workshops, you know, participating in these workshops. And so if you're interested, you need to email us and let us know that you are interested, and then we'll let you know the next time we have one. Oh, yes. And we you do send that. the emails. I do. I send the emails, and it's... Um, they're sent to, just to individuals. I send a few at a time because the people that get it first decide first. So I usually wait until I hear back from them, yay or nay, before mm -hmm. I send more out. Right. Yeah, we only invite as many people as we have openings. And then if they say they yes, all of them, then it's full. And if some of them say no, then we open it up to a couple more people. Right. Yeah, but right. they usually fill up very fast. They do. Within a couple of days. Yeah. yeah. Because we offer so few of them and because they are by invitation only and because we never go to the same places. Right. And so they are not exactly the kind of workshop that you can wait a year and say, well, I'll do it next year, you know, because next year we won't be somewhere else if we actually offer it at all. And some of them we have uh, offered it once and, you know, never again. And then some of them we've offered it a second time, you know, five, six, seven, eight years down the road, right? Right, right. Well, we're not doing Grand Canyon this August in 2017, but we're doing it 2018 right. and it filled up. It's already full. Yeah. It filled up but fast. But we'll have it again in 2019. So yes. if you can plan that far ahead, then let us know. And just email us. Go to my website at alanbrio.com, A-L-A-I-N-B-R-I-O-T, or beautiful-landscape.com, or click on the link if there is a link uh, in this podcast. And just uh, email us or call us and let us know that you're interested. Otherwise, well, we hope that uh, you enjoyed our podcast, and we look forward to having another podcast that you'll enjoy later on. We have now about 80 different episodes of this podcast and we keep recording them every time we have uh, something uh, of value to share with you.